Now I am quietly waiting for the catastrophe of my personality to seem beautiful again, and interesting and modern. The country is gray and brown and white and trees. Snow and skies of laughter are always diminishing, less funny, not just darker, not just gray. It may be the coldest day of the year. What does he think of that? I mean, what do I? And if I do, perhaps I am myself again. Death, but not for you, gunslinger. Never for you. You darko, you tink. May I be brutally frank? You go on. The man in black shuffled the cards with flying hands. The deck was huge. The designs on the back convoluted. These are tarot cards, gunslinger. Of a sort, a mixture of the standard deck to which have been added a selection of my own development. Now watch carefully. I'm going to tell your future. Seven cards must be turned one at a time and placed in conjunction with the others. I've not done this since the days when Gilead stood and the ladies played at points on the West Lawn. And I suspect I've never read a tale such as yours. Mockery was creeping into his voice again. You are the world's last adventurer, the last crusader. How that must please you, Roland. Yet you have no idea how close you stand to the tower now as you resume your quest. Worlds turn about your head. Well, technology is a glittering lure, but there's the rare occasion when the public can be engaged on a level beyond flash if they have a sentimental bond with the product. My first job, I was in-house at a fur company with an old pro copywriter, a Greek named Teddy. And Teddy told me the most important idea in advertising is new creates a niche. You simply put your product in there as a kind of calamine lotion, but he also talked about a deeper bond with the product. Nostalgia. It's delicate, but potent. Teddy told me in, that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device, it isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel, it's called a carousel. It lets us travel the way a child travels, around and around and back home again, to a place where we know we are all loved. All right, Holden Caulfield, don't get all sappy on me. And if you want to know the truth, I'm William Morgan, and this is 42 Minutes. We are a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com, and we are a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42, and at SyncBook today is Cinco de Mayo 2015, and this is our 183rd broadcast. Although many people falsely believe that today honors the Mexican Independence Day, we all know that it really happens on September 16th. The 5th of May is observed to commemorate the Mexican Army's unlikely victory over the French forces at the Battle of Puebla on this date in 1862. Not sure how that will make any sense whatsoever, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure we'll sink sooner or later. But we have uh, got in store for everyone tonight, Douglas. Hold up a sec, Will. Uh, what, what happened last weekend? Do you have anything you want to tell our audience? <laughs> I think that uh, I shook hands with Rodney Asher last week, Okay, so was you, awesome. You made it to the, the screening of The Nightmare then? Yes, I went to the Stanley Hotel up in Estes Park during the film festival and watched Nightmares, and it was very impactful. But 
that is a whole nother issue and it would take way too long to explain how cool it was. But enough about that. What's going on in the show, Douglas? All right. Tarot is a practice rich with history and cultural knowledge. It is a science of the mind. And today's guest believes that it can be used as a tool for both psychological evaluation and healing. Author and tarot master Benabel Wen calls this tarot analytics in a recent book, Holistic Tarot, published by North Atlantic Books this past January. Wen is a certified tarot master by the Tarot Certification Board of America and is a longtime practitioner of the art. She is also a California and New York licensed attorney and works as the corporate legal counsel for a venture capital firm in the Bay Area. In addition to tarot, Wen is a feng shui consultant, I Ching practitioner, numerologist, and astrology enthusiast. Holistic Tarot is definitely an epic book. It is comprehensive and is on its way to becoming the essential guidebook for serious students of the tarot. Well, welcome, Betabel. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Doug. You bet. It's great to have you. Uh, let's, let's just start in a strange spot. Um, we were referencing Mad Men a bit in the introduction. Do you watch that show? I don't. I was going to ask you as soon as you finished what that was from. It was beautiful. And the way you guys read it is fantastic. I was completely enchanted. Wonderful. <laughs> That's We're tricking our audience to just make it through to, you know, we got to <laughs> hook them early, hook them early. But, so anyway, Dawn had his cards read in the second season mm-hmm. towards the end. Could, could we pull a doozy on you and maybe share a spread with you and then yeah. see what you think of it? Yeah, sure. All right. So let me see if I can do this. I might have to. Uh... Oh, you sent a file. Let's see. I thought you were going to read the cards out to me. Let's see if I can do this. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, I could do it that way, too. Both ways work fine. While it downloads, you can talk about what what's in the spread. I haven't seen it yet. I'm still waiting for it. Okay, to right. So that's why I said kind of a doozy. Uh so these are Don's cards. The the interesting thing is the heart of the matter. I think this is a Celtic cross. But, oh, okay, so it's the Celtic cross. All right. But instead of seeing the traditional number two card over the f- number one card, it's uh-huh. it's kind of below it so that you can actually see that it's the sun card right. re- reversed uh-huh. in the first position. Okay. When I see the sun card reversed, the first thing I think of is something that's been lost, something cherished that uh, you're looking for and you can't find. And if it's in that first position, I, I don't see the spread yet, but if, I, if I'm seeing it correctly, then that's the heart of the matter. That's where we're beginning the journey of this reading. Okay, that's interesting, right. And then journey of the reading, that's an interesting phrase. <laughs> in the seventh position is the world card, and then... In the tenth position, it looks like it's the uh, eight of wands. Oh, here it is. Okay, I see this now. So you were talking about the world card. Okay, that one. Well, does that does that look like a Celtic cross to you? Yeah, that is the Celtic cross. They're not using a signifier or a sign. It's a, traditionally called a significator card. I like to refer to it as the signifier card. And we need to talk about that. And maybe we should just do that. <laughs> Okay, sure. Because I've never I've never come across that and I'm definitely an amateur. But what is, what is the signifier card and how do you arrive at that for your seeker? 
I know that these days a lot of practitioners don't use the signifier card, but it just is something that I began my tarot studies with, so it's a huge part of what I do. So when I started tarot reading, for there's many different ways. The most traditional way would just be key one, the magician for male seekers, and key two, the high priestess for female seekers. I don't do it that way. Then there's the one where you use it by um, the age, gender, and sort of the physical disposition. The fairer people will be the wands and cups. The darker people will be the swords and pentacles. I also don't use that. So what I do is I use sun signs. So if I'm reading for you, for example, the first thing I would ask you is, what's your sun sign? And then what is it? What are, what are, what are your sun signs, Doug and William? I'm an Aries. So for Aries, I would, use a fi- I would use one of the fire cards. For me, that's a suit of wands. And I would say, okay, I would go with the king for you. So I would say, oh, you're the king of wands for the Aries. And the William? Leo. Oh, so you're also a king of wands. So Leo and Aries are both fire signs. So then I would use the um, suit that corresponds with that, that sign. And that's how you arrive at your signifier card. And then when you're shuffling, so you go through this. The book is wonderful, we have to say, too. It's, it's amazing the amount of work <laughs> put into it. Thank you so much. Yeah. How, so, so you say, all right, you guys are the king of wands, and then... What do you do with that card? (laughs) The first thing I do, so this is part of my personal practice, and I think part of the journey of every practitioner is to learn many different techniques and figure out what works for you. So for me, the first thing I would do is figure out what quadrant of your life you should be focusing on. So I will say that this signifier card anchors your personal energy into the deck. And so for the purpose of the session, the universal energies, the whole compendium that the tarot represents is going to be focused around you. It'll be, you know how you have the heliocentric. Now we're going to be egocentric. It's around you. So then I will cut the deck into four piles. This is in the first operation chapter. Right. And, and that this is something that Paul Foster Case came up with originally? I'm not sure if he came up with I, I just don't know. I don't know if he came up with it, but that was where I first came across it. It was in his in his text. But I do see I've seen other um authors from that from that time period write about it as well. So it's not clear to me whether or not he came up with it, but he definitely did espouse it as a practice. Okay. So we've got this this King of Wands and you bury it in the deck. Mm-hmm. And we've cut the deck into four piles. And then I'll go searching for the signifier card. And the pile that it, um, it is found in is the pile I start working with. So sometimes I will be pulled to start going with the card counting, reading th- that pile as a narrative. I'll read the top card or the bottom card. And then um, if we haven't really finished yet or you haven't really, we haven't struck the heart of, the, of your inquiry, I will then reshuffle everything. But this time taking out the signifier, I set it down. And let's say we're using the Celtic cross, since that's what I'm looking at in the photograph. I would set it down first, then you'd shuffle the deck, and then I would lay out the cards in the Celtic cross with the first card, card one, over the signifier card, anchoring it around your personal energy. Uh, And the idea is you don't need the signifier in the deck to draw because... It's you. It's you. So it's the card that represents you. Therefore, it's not... In my worldview, it's not that you would be missing one of the meanings of the of the deck because that meaning is you, and so we're putting you down and then figuring out what of what other um, representations and what other 
uh, I guess, messages from this deck. Kind of like, you know how you have the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching? Here you have the 77, because the 78th card would be you, representing what is most relevant to what's going on in your life right now. And it seems like 70, 77 is a pretty potent number, too. Right. <laughs> okay. Switch gears. Sure. Why would you call it a journey when you were saying that this particular journey of, of this reading or whatnot? When I've been reading for people, I felt it to be a journey. You know, when you begin, you just have a question and the seeker doesn't really know what to expect. I always get that feeling that they're nervous, you know, and I try my best to sort of calm them down and say, whatever comes, comes. And then it's not just about reading or interpreting the cards, but understanding I want to make sure that they know how to apply that, you know, in a way that they don't just, you know, sort of absorb the information, walk out and still do the same thing that they've always been doing. I like to sort of um, leave them with some action items or actionable items they can proceed with. And so it is a journey to figure out what the cards mean, how to um, identify what parts of their lives are represented in those cards and what, why it's coming up in the reading. And then at the end, what they can do. So that part at the end is a form of awakening or epiphany, a mini one, a little one, right? Um, where they right. didn't have that when they started the reading, ideally speaking. So it is a journey. Okay, and now this is, this is fortune-telling, right? And so it's either the angels or the demons that's, that's <laughs> speaking through the cards? Um, I think that's one view of what tarot does. I, I don't really subscribe to that view. I see it as um, us acting. A lot of it, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't parse the difference between the so-called supernatural concept of having a divinity or having a supernatural force versus just so, your so-called higher self or different parts of your mind. I don't know the true science of it because I'm not a psychologist, but I truly believe that it is in our minds, but it's also a form of divinity. It's both. It can be both. And so what you're doing is you're delving into the latent parts of your mind that aren't conscious and pulling it out to the conscious part of your mind so you can be more productive with that information. What would be some other um, theories on how or why tarot works? Um, one of the prevailing theories would be synchronicity, and I believe, trying to figure out who wrote the, I think Jung wrote the introduction in Wilhelm's uh, translation of the I Ching, and that's where it comes from, if I'm not mistaken. But he wrote about how the reason the I Ching works is through synchronicity, you know. Um, life isn't, or the, the chronology, it's not, just, it's not just about cause and effect. That's one way of looking at things. But another way events happen is through synchronicity. It's a form of coincidence, but it's not really a coincidence because the reason they're both happening at the same time is to um, address a particular significance. And understanding that significance is understanding the spiritual, you know, sort of dimension of what's going on, the metaphysical dimension of what's going on. With and the so main I, goal being to reach an epiphany? Um, like a mini, a mini epiphany, kind of like a... I don't think there's one main goal. It's just like cause and effect. It's just, it's describing a phenomenon. There isn't one so-called main goal of cause and effect, right? It's just one thing happens and then it, it leads to another event. And so synchronicity is two events that take place at the same time and usually because of that something very interesting happens from that synchronicity what that is and how you characterize that it's going to differ from case to case 
All right, I have this this kind of literary theory that oftentimes the story that we're compelled and fascinated by is is kind of the thing that we need for our own psychological blossoming. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious uh, about why you were drawn to tarot and the occult. Um, I think it's to to understand. It really is what it is. I I find that it's not just limited to the occult, but anything that is very analytical, and I know that's not usually the adjective used for um, the occult or esoteric studies, but for me, I found it to be incredibly analytical. And it was something that you did really have to deconstruct. And so anytime you have something, a body of work or an academic study where you have to deconstruct it into basic parts so that you can understand it, that's something I'm interested in. That's probably why I went to law school. And so the occult studies was definitely along those lines. And so I was always fascinated by all forms of the occult. Well, so do you have a favorite deck right now and a favorite card or is this something that just uh, cycles? You know, it's, I always get asked that favorite deck, favorite card, favorite color. I don't really have many favorites. I don't have, um, I don't have any particular preferences. I guess the deck I use the most right now is the, um, it's a replica of the original Rider-Waite-Smith, the one where the font is the one that um, Smith wrote in. It's not the more modern colorings. So um, I don't know if it's my favorite deck because I don't see it in those terms. It's more just the it, the symbology, the symbolism in that deck. I'm familiar with it. I, I work with the colors very easily, and my copy of that deck has my um, astrological correspondences on it, so that's the reason I use it. Hmm. I, I mean, in our world, we say, you know, resonate or sync with. What, are you, what <laughs> yeah. are you syncing with right now? But, you know, this changes. I read that the Thoth, the Thoth deck never really did it for you. Is that still the case? Um, it's not that it doesn't, it never resonated with me. It's people gravitate toward different decks, I think, based on their personalities and also their objectives. I think if you're really interested in um, working with power, um, working with very strong and intense metaphysical energies, if you believe, if you will, then the Thoth is fantastic for that. For me, I like to work in a way that um, tries to, at least attempts to remove my ego. And so I know this doesn't make any sense, but for me, the Thoth has always been about um, magic, ceremonial magic, power acquisition. And so those weren't really the um, objectives I wanted to uh, accomplish with tarot. So I, I sort of shied from the Thoth. That's that's deep. <laughs> well, it's interesting because in our world, it seems like that is kind of the default deck in a lot of a lot of people in in what amounts to our audience and community really resonate with the thought deck for some reason. My husband does too. Um, he's not into tarot at all. He's he's an atheist, and when he goes through my deck collection, he he just sort of. Um, intuitively gravitated toward the thought also he thought the Rider Waite Smith was ugly <laughs> he didn't like the other ones he's like I don't understand the fairies so he didn't like the <laughs> <laughs> but he really liked the thought what now a lot of people call it just the Rider Waite why do you call it the Rider Waite Smith well Pamela Cole 
Coleman Smith illustrated the de- illustrated the um, the the deck. So I think it's important to include her. And I call it the Rider Waite Smith because it's more generic. I believe Rider Waite is actually trademarked, and so it is proprietary to U.S. Games, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so I don't call it the Rider Waite because the Rider Waite is a very specific deck. It's a very specific um, publication or printing of the Rider Waite Smith. Oh, that's that's interesting. And so Rider was the the publisher, the original publisher, and so Wait intellectualized the the symbol set, and then Smith executed it. Right. She was the yes. Yeah, she's the artist of the deck, and then um, the deck was then first printed in London by the Rider Company, and then later on in the U.S. by U.S. Games. Yeah. All right. I got a curveball. I got. Comic books on the mind because of the Avengers and stuff, and I'm sitting here looking. I'm continually looking at the spread from Mad Men, and it it strikes me it's a comic book. You said something about the journey and everything, and I mean the Book of Thoth kind of led me in this little free association in my brain to looking at the tarot like a comic book, but is a comic book that's different every time depending on who's the one reading it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to you. Does it make sense to you? Would you kind of relate to that association? Yeah, def- yeah definitely. Each, um, each, each, each card is like a cell. And even though within that cell, that cell tells in a way a complete story. There's something very whole about each cell, but then it's also a building block leading up to a, like we were talking about, a greater narrative, which is what all of the cards in the spread form. So it's definitely to me like a comic book. Okay, so if we go back to this Mad Men spread, and if you look at it, do you know when his birth date is? What his signifying card would be, Doug? You I get what I'm saying? I know. I'm sure it's easily looked up. No, but up. so like, there's, I don't, I don't want to spoil the show <laughs> for either of you guys because I know that you're not, you're not there. But so it's, it's really. Curious. He would have two birthdays. That's, that's what you're right. Getting. That's right. So it would be on whether or not we're talking about Dick Whitman or Don Draper. Right. But I I want to I want to say that Matthew Weiner probably didn't have a signifier in mind and that the the like the number 1 card is All we need is a zodiac sign. Well though. no, I'm just saying that that's probably I really think that that's the essence of Don Draper is this reverse sun card. And and you were saying that means loss i see it as feeling that there's a loss in your life and constantly chasing after that omission and trying to find something to fill that that void i see you don't even have to watch the show and you can tell us all about it it's amazing oh really yeah, yeah. Right. no clue what this show is about right it was in right the 50s or something right it, it's... yeah it takes place over the whole decade of the 60s but it's just a mind game don't oh, get involved unless no it's, you have it's fun a couple it's fun. months <laughs> it is fun but it's gonna take you a while you might need a pen and pad but you can it's... see this you can see the image now yes yes and on the surface what would you say like your initial impressions of... I'm going to tell you right now, my eye keeps falling on that Wheel of Fortune. I mean, you were actually quoting about the wheel earlier in the carousel. So maybe just a specific card would be more adjusted a bull for time. I mean, what is... In that specific location, what does that Wheel of Fortune card mean to you? 
So for me, I always read this card as the shadow self. It's the, um, for, for me, how I see the Celtic cross. There's actually many different Celtic crosses and how people read the different positions are going to differ from seeker to seeker or practitioner to practitioner. So in this position, I always read that card because it's right before the card we refer to as the final outcome. Uh-huh. Before you can understand the final outcome, before you can reach that place of, uh, you know, reunion or unity with whatever your goal is you do have to face your devil face your morrow face that shadow self and so that's why i see it as the darker component having the wheel there that's very interesting i would say that it's a turning point it's very uncertain when you have the wheel of fortune there it's actually very unstable it's un it's unclear whether or not this person is able to defeat those demons but then at the end you do see the eight of wands which shows you know, hitting your target, aiming, shooting, and hitting the target, so. Okay, well, so okay. it's interesting, because one of the... Th- I got devils on the brain like what, crazy right, right now, and I see, I see the devil and the wheel of fortune, and she just yeah. said devil, so. It's a very occult card, if you look at it, you have the alchemical symbols, but then you also have the Torah, so it's the balance of the light and the dark, you know, you have... Well, very, so- That's the zodiac around it, isn't it? I mean, with the bull, there's the eagle, which would be Scorpio. So, I mean, the wheel of fortune is the zodiac or the sundial type of... Right. And then, well, the four, they, it represents the four seasons. It can represent the four, um, you know, astrology, you have the fire, earth, air, and water signs. And also, I believe it's also the four books in the Christian Bible. Yeah. Right, I the would gospel. be able to be more specific because I'm not Christian, but something along those lines, if I recall yes. correctly. <laughs> four books. You're dead on. Oh, okay. Was well, one of the games that? All right. So he, this is a also kind of a, a curveball, but uh, because of 2012, you know the the end of the world thing that we we did in 2012, and it was supposed to happen on the 21st, so 12, 21, 2012. I thought, oh, this is interesting because we're marching through the major arcana. Right, with uh-huh. the twenty-one being the world card, and so then I thought, well, what if what if years took on a character of a card, and I just started to feel that, to, to sit with uh-huh. that, and and say, okay, last year or twenty thirteen was was death, and twenty fourteen was temperance, and then twenty fifteen is is the devil card. Ah, interesting. I do like that. And it makes sense. That would, that would mean that this is a year of facing materialism, facing addictions, facing, uh, you know, the superficiality that we often uh, wear as our masks. Mm. But then also, it, it seems like it's dealing with the shadow too. Right, right, right. So that I believe the um, the devil card is the very first card in the third septenary in the major arcana. The major arcana you can divide it up into three sevens: the first septenary, the second septenary, and the third. And this third septenary is the journey of self awakening or epiphanies, trying to figure out who it is you are, or union with God, union with divinity, or reaching your higher self. However, whatever vocabulary you want to use. And the very first card of that would be the devil card. So again, it's that thing that we're just talking about. You have to face your shadow self before you can begin the journey of understanding who you are. So I do love the devil card. In in the way that Doug was actually kind of associating 2012 with the tarot, we come from a group of people who use the slang term as sink. 
because they understand it just to be some kind of code word for things that correspond through synchronicity. But mm-hmm. they, they, they dig in deep to pop culture and notice these kind of trends. For instance, you can think of 9-11 having something to do with the tower card and the tarot. There's actually websites that do these things called, like there's one called Movie Poster Tarot that you can find at movietarot.blogspot.com where they just do like um, uh, movie posters or movie themes or scenes in movies that have something to do with hair or with the tarot. I'm like, how do you, I mean, we were talking about the reasons for tarot earlier through synchronicity and the way that the unconscious mind talks to the conscious mind, but I'm wondering. Do you see these things yourself in pop culture? I mean, do you think this is wackadoo, crazy tinfoil stuff? or I don't think do you- it's crazy at all. It absolutely makes sense to me. And it is synchronicity. I see, Well, what I see the 78 cards are as are, um, it is this language. It is a, it is, it's a language. They're the signs and symbols that the unconscious can use to communicate in a way with our conscious minds to relay information that we all know. And I do believe in a collective unconscious, which is, I believe, is a form of the divinity that we're always talking about in many of the religions. And so the way that information can get through one of those languages, and there are many different languages. Another one is the I Ching. One of those languages that it speaks is through the tarot. And so you have these signs and symbols that are going to sort of recur in our actual physical world. And when that happens, I always pay attention because I see it as an ability, an opportunity for me to connect into something in the, that unconscious and try to you know, mine out information that might be useful for me. Okay, this is a good time then to segue into tarot analytics. Mm-hmm. What What is that? How is that different or is it... A, the language about your practice? What is it all about? I think it just began with me trying to figure out how to define or express what I do or how I practice tarot. Because I know people talk a lot in the tarot world, you always talk about intuitive reading. And I do believe what I do is intuitive reading, but it's not in the same exact way where it's, it's arbitrary or I sort of leave it out to my creativity or to my imagination. Instead, I use what's in the four corners of the card. I'm going to look at the colors. I'm going to look at the astrological correspondence. I'm going to look at the numerological association of the card and the element that the card, um, that essence there. And so all of these things, as I sort of analyze the various characters of the card, they trigger something in my mind that is very intuitive, which is, like I said, from the unconscious. But that process itself is definitely more analytical and more left brain than what we think of traditionally as right-brained, creative, you know, imaginary sort of, uh, you know, ruminations. And so I just refer to as analytic tarot as um, the method of reaching my intuition through the left part of my mind. There's definitely some interesting balances happening in you, both (laughs) with the east and the west and then the right and the left hemispheres of your brain. So it's interesting when I'm reading your book, (laughs) when I'm reading your book, you're telling me how, and I don't, I clearly don't have the scientific brain, but you're, you're saying this is how you would devise a good practice of study and learning. And it's like, wow, that's such a great idea. (laughs) But you're kind of showing us too, you know, how you wrote the book at the same time, kind of. Yeah, I hope that's what comes across, and I'm really glad you said that because it makes me feel like I was successful on a certain level. Oh, very. Thank you. Well, talk about personal synchronicity. A lot of, th- I mean, in 
Young's original book, he has this whole chapter talking about names. This is a perfect segue, a perfect segue to talk about your beautiful name, Benabel Wynn, correct? I said it correctly? That's correct. Do you mind telling our listeners where it comes from and perhaps about a little bit of its power in, in and of itself? I decided to go with writing under a pseudonym because I do work in law and I work with, I mean, I'm constantly going to court. I have to um, negotiate multi-million dollar deals. I'm always working with opposing counsel. And one of the first things we do is Google each other, you know, and we kind of point at the screen and laugh at each other. And I really didn't want, I mean, I have enough against me. <laughs> okay, it's true. I'm, I'm Asian, I'm young, and I'm female. That's already enough to sort of ridicule me. And I know that sounds horrifying. <laughs> Throw but, tarot into the gear works and you're screwed. <laughs> exactly. And so I was like, the last thing people need to know when they Google me is my spiritual leanings. I just wanted that to not be part of the equation. I have enough to deal with on my plate with all of the, you know, with my other characteristics. So I did want to write under a pseudonym, but actually the pseudonym represents who I am a lot more. So my real last name got messed up. You know, U.S. immigration messed it up. And so it's actually not the real translation of my last name. When is the correct and accurate translation of my Chinese name, actually? And then Benabel is my Chinese name, the name that my parents uh, gave me at birth. So the first character of my Chinese name is Benevolent, and the second character is Bells. And so together, Benevolent, Bells, I got Benabel. Wow. Do you know who William S. Bur William S. Burroughs? Do you know who William S. Burroughs is? Why does that name sound so familiar? William S. Burroughs uh, was an author who came up with this idea, what he called cut-ups, where you take like a page of something, you cut it up, and then you rearrange it. And he wrote multiple books of poetry in this way. Wow. But I see that, and it also comes from this idea of uh, a sigil, a magic sigil. Have you heard of these things, correct or no? Sigils? Yes. Oh, okay, yes, uh-huh. So, in a way, your name is a sigil in and of itself. Definitely. I work a lot with sigils. In my, um, my own practice, I definitely work with sigils. Um, we call it fu. Fu talismans is the Chinese form of sigils, sigil crafting. The interesting part of your story, though, is so you were attracted to the occult and tarot as, as a young person, and then you entered college and went into this left-brain path of, uh, you know, logic and rhetoric, and you dropped the tarot. No, I mean, it's more like it was closeted. I, I don't think I've ever officially dropped the tarot. Were you, you were using it then? I've always used it. I mean, it's always been a part of my life. I just It just was a matter of whether or not people in my life at that time knew about it, you know. And so in law school, I don't think a single soul in law school with me knew that I practiced tarot. And, and so wow, you, crazy. You, you weren't taking seekers at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, what no, sound, it sounds like I Ching is very important to you as well. Yeah, I Ching is something I picked up from my father and I picked up from my family. But I, I mean, it was always sort of like there in my life, but I didn't actively go seek out learning it, mostly because it was in my life. I think when it happens that way, you take advantage of it, you take it for granted. And it just didn't interest me. No, it interested me, but I just felt like it was too predictable 
for me, an Asian person, to be interested in the I Ching. So I wanted to do something that was unpredictable, only it was actually pretty predictable that I would do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it's kind of but so I, I gravitated toward Western occult only because I was trying to, you know, figure out who I was here in the States. And I didn't want to be too connected to the Asian side of me. But then, of course, that's ridiculous and stupid. And then when I grew a brain, I definitely revisited my cultural roots. Would you, how do you do an, uh, an I Ching? Uh, I mean, do you use Yaro coin? Do you still do it? Do you use like online algorithms? I've never used online algorithms before, and now I think I'm going to try. Um, I use I use three coins. That's the easiest way. But I also use the rice grains, where I have a bowl of rice grains that I've consecrated, and then what you do is you grab into the well. You think of you know you focus, and there's all that intent part, and then you grab basically a small pile of rice grains from your consecrated bowl, and you count the number of rice grains. And then you take another pile, and that's how you would do it. And then you divide the first one by six, the second one by six, and the third one, I think, by eight, if I recall. And that's how you go ahead and get the, um, the hexagram. Online, online algorithms. You're going to love it. You're I, will love- lo- I will look that up right after this. And then I use the three coins as well to construct the, you know, the lower trigram and then the upper trigram. I'm kind of addicted. I'll sit there and do it just about 20 times a day. Interesting. Where, where, I mean, I don't know, you mentioned focusing intent. It makes you put in your name and then it makes you ask your question. And for question, I, based off of another guest that we had, he gave me the idea of saying, what should I be mindful of? And question mark. And that, I think that's kind of intentful and because I have to type it all in and whatnot. And then I, pick, I always pick Yarrow. I hit the random button and then whatever I get... I usually analyze through three or four different online translations. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I get because sometimes different translations give you different insights, I guess yeah. is a good way to put it. But yeah. it is it's very impactful. And I think I've gotten myself down into such a rhythm where it's like it's 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 almost inevitable that it immediately like I recognize it. I'm starting to get a handle on how my own rhythms are based off of it, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things like that now. With uh, There's also a new app for, I don't think anybody's made an I Ching app, which would probably be a great idea. But I, I've heard of uh, some individuals doing like dream databases at, for apps so that everybody's like recording their dreams and there's it can sort through like trends and things like that. Wow. I mean, what do you think about the technology's effect on divination? Um, I think it's elitist to poo-poo technology, and I'm an elitist, so I do tend to. Try <laughs> so to you're get... just gonna poo-poo technology? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like for example, when when I use tarot apps, and you know, I definitely have tarot apps on my phone, but I would never use it for a serious reading. I don't know. I think again, it, there's really no rationale behind it. Nothing logical or nothing that holds water. Do you know what I mean? And I'll be the first to admit that. But for some reason, I like I like the tactile feeling of handling something and working with something in my hands. And so that's why I think I don't really use the. I also feel like it depends on your personality. So for me, if I'm if I'm using an app, then I don't I don't feel like I'm focused enough. People other people can focus, but I don't really think I can do it very well. So I, I've never really worked with it that extensively to say anything knowledgeable about techs, about tech I mean. Wow. 
Douglas? <laughs> Did I say something wrong? No, it was it was not something you said. It was everything that you have said. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to think about with your book. I mean, I, I love the way that you wrote it, where it's almost like a database in and of itself. You can, you know, go to the section that's most relevant to what you're worried about. I'm the intention behind your book. I mean, how long did it take you to write? Um, so I've been writing it without knowing that I was writing a book since college because I just, I'm a weird kid who likes to take copious notes, even though there's no class or teacher. And so I, I take copious notes. I always keep my references. I have little, you know, boxes of index cards filled up, filled with, you know, citations for tarot, mind you. And, you know, so that became the book when I decided to write a book. And that was, you know, that came out to be about 500 pages by 2012. And then from 2012 until when the book was accepted by North Atlantic Books, I finished the rest of it. Wow. Tremendous work. Tremendous. And it's, it looks like the community is really supporting this. It, I mean, there are a lot of people saying a lot of good things about this book. I'm glad. Yeah, there, there is, it's received a lot of warm support and a lot of love. But the tarot community in itself is just very loving. So I think it just comes with the territory. They've been very, very supportive. I think some people uh, might take issue with the more analytical approach. And they fear that I'm being too psychological or too clinical with tarot. So that's definitely a, relevant, a, a valid fear that some people in the community have about my approach. That's actually the thing that fascinated me the most initially is this idea that maybe the cards could be used as a psychological tool to actually like in a clinical analytic situation where hey here's a great tool to, you know to reach someone's unconscious and to actually deal with the things that they need to deal with I think yeah I definitely think so too I think people who do take a more clinical approach can come to the tarot and find a wealth of information here and a wealth of you know tools and use that and then people who are sort of more of your kitchen reader who don't you know they don't have a book they don't learn any textbook meanings they just look at the card and go with whatever comes to their head that sort of you know like free flow free, you know stream of consciousness reading style that you can bring that to the tarot and be an incredibly powerful reader as well i think that speaks a lot to the power of tarot it once you truly understand tarot, it, it kind of fuses and it synthesizes the two worlds. I don't think people realize that. So you can't just be a clinical reader. If you truly advance in tarot through the clinical or analytical side, at some point you become an intuitive reader. And if you're just an intuitive reader where you don't look at any books, you don't read and you don't care about what anybody else has ever said about the cards, the more you study the cards, eventually you do become an analytical reader. Wonderful. And then, so we're just about out of time. What What's next for you? Do you have any, any projects in the wings? I'm currently trying to reconcile tarot and the I Ching. So I've translated the I Ching already from the classical Chinese to the English. And so I have that. And that's actually the, um, wow. the version I use when I, when I do I Ching divination, I use my own translation because wow. it's just more comfortable with me. But I don't want it to just be a book of translations or just a book of annotations. I've also annotated the I Ching with all the different historical references, where the different uh, um, iconography comes from, and also what the eight trigrams mean, what the significance of the eight trigrams are, and you know, folding in feng shui and how that how it all sort of connects. But I believe 
on some level, it also connects to the language of tarot and how these two languages can be used in harmony. I haven't figured out that thesis yet, so that's what I'm working on. God bless you, lady. <laughs> Thank you. That was 42 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And to our listeners, you've been listening to Benabel Wynn on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about the work of Mrs. Wynn can be found on her website, benabellwynn.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archives, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the host. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And the thing with kids is, if they want to grab the gold ring, you have to let them do it and not say anything. If they fall off, they fall off. de llorar y no amanece ya no sé si maldecirte o por ti rezar tengo miedo de buscarte y de encontrarte donde me aseguran mis amigos que te vas hay momentos en que quisiera mejor rajarme y arrancarme y a los clavos de mi penal pero mis ojos se mueren sin mirar tus ojos y mi cariño con la aurora te vuelve a esperar y agarraste por tu cuenta la parra Vivir mi vida
quiera Dios dame fuerza que me estoy muriendo por irla a buscar y agarraste por tu cuenta las parras 